Amen. Welcome, Northwest. We're glad you're here. Welcome to you online. We are now have our children's church time. So if you are pre-K through third grade or want to go to children's church, please come down with Miss Hope, our children's director, and you guys can go off to hear the gospel in your language and in your heart language. And we're thankful for all of our kids. I know that it's been a difficult week for some of you. Amen. It has been a difficult week for some of us these last few weeks. Many have been without power in the city. Some are still without power. I talked to some of our members this morning that are still without power. But the Lord has done a great work amongst his body here at Northwest these last two weeks. I've seen a great number of our people helping one another, loving one another, opening their homes to one another, sharing generators, cleaning up after one another. It's been a privilege and a joy as a pastor, as your pastor, to be able to see God at work amongst his people We had to sit down in our staff meeting this week and we had to praise the Lord because of his goodness and his grace and uh, we've compiled a list of all of the things that he has done these last few weeks and I wanted to share this with you because I thought it might be an encouragement to you this morning. He's done a lot in the month of October and the weeks leading up to October but here's a few things that we've seen God do In the last few weeks, we unveiled a new welcome center over here, um, sharing God's vision for um, what he has here at Northwest. We unveiled a new worship center here in which you guys are sitting in. Yeah, give it up. That's a lot of things just right there. We celebrated 90 years of God's faithfulness uh, a couple weeks ago and celebrating together what God wants to do and what he has done here. Um, We welcomed a new worship pastor with Northwest Espanol last week. If you were here with us, uh, Christian Vargas, our new worship pastor at Northwest in Espanol. We had a men's camp out a few weeks ago. We had about 25 men. Uh, We had a mother-son hangout or a campfire in which we had about 15 mothers with their sons. We had a, a refresh in the factory. Our students met in there for the first time this last week. We overhauled the mezzanine. We had lights over North. Northwest in the midst of a pandemic and no power in the church and it was fantastic as hundreds of people came and we had our people sharing the gospel at different stages around our parking lot. Man, we had our first baptisms last week or two weeks ago in our newly remodeled worship center. We sent out the Fullers who had been working in our youth ministry to be a full-time youth pastor at a church in Yukon. And the church opened its Sunday morning groups and Wednesday nights back up in the building. That's a lot of things that God has done in the last few weeks. <laughs> Not to mention the many, many people who spent their time out in the city cleaning up limbs and also cleaning up limbs on our facility. We haven't finished all of our cleanup work at the church, but we certainly have put a dent in things. This week we had Oklahoma disaster relief in our building as well as they went out throughout the city sharing the love of Christ with others and helping people restore power. I wanted you to know this because in this crazy time, God is still at work amongst his people and his church. Amen? Last week, we saw in the book of Acts chapter 8 that God uses the trial to bring about steadfastness in his people. We saw the advancement of the gospel amidst the persecution. And we saw that advancement of the gospel and the good news message bringing about a joy in God's people in Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, we continue in Samaria. And there's a great contrast between two people in Acts chapter 8, as we'll read the rest of the book. And next week, we'll talk about one of these men. But one of these men is called Simon the Magician. The other is called the Ethiopian eunuch. And they're very contrasted. They're very different in the, in the way that they come to Christ and, and are a part of God's church. 
The Ethiopian eunuch is reading the word. He's, he's trying to understand this gospel. He wants to know God. And we see this morning in the passage about Simon the magician. He doesn't really need salvation, but yet wants to be great. And he wants to use God's power for himself and his own greatness. And we see in this story this morning that the heart of repentance is what God desires from his people. The heart of repentance is actually what brings about this salvation of God's people. And the spirit of the living God is able to dwell amongst his people and in his church when they humble themselves in repentance and faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 7.10, I don't normally read in the New Living Translation, but I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. It says this. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Godly Sorrow versus worldly sorrow. And as you put those thoughts into your minds this morning, would you stand with me in reading of God's word? We're in Acts chapter eight, verse nine. Acts is a few books in the Bible in, into the New Testament. And so I would say it's page 916 in your pew Bibles in front of you. I'm not sure that those are on, on yet, but it is Acts chapter eight, verse nine, Simon the magician. We stand in honor of reading God's word here at Northwest because we believe this is the real word of God. This is the accurate, true word of God that which he has spoken to us and we find comfort and healing in his words this morning. Acts chapter eight, verse nine, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was someone great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner for your heart is not right before God. Repent Therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word this morning that we hear 
Father, we thank you for seeing the truths that are interacted in your early church that spur us on towards a heart, Father, that loves you. May we be a church here at Northwest that deepens our love for you. Father, if there is anything hidden in our hearts, may you shine the light of your glory upon that. Father, may we be a people that are humbly repentant in our posture towards you. Father, cleanse us of our sin, of our iniquity, of the intentions of our heart. Father, give us grace. For you are a God of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's kind of an intense passage this morning. And as you read it, you're a little bit shocked by what happens in this passage. And yet we understand the character and the nature of God from passages like this. It brings out who this God is as holy and righteous And who we are, self-centered, man-centered sinners in rebellion against the holy and righteous God. It should point us to the cross of Christ. It should bring us to our knees. It should bring about a godly sorrow that leads to repentance as our response to the gospel of grace of God. There are two types of sorrow or heart attitudes. One is a sorrow that is from God that alters the direction of our life. And one is a sorrow from the world that is just upset because we got caught. 13 years ago in 2007, we were in, living in Tulsa. Me and my wife were living in Tulsa. We were newly married. I never worn any jewelry. If, if you know me, I, I, I got this eye watch recently, but I never wore a watch growing up. I never wore a necklace. I didn't do earrings. I got this ring from my wife and it was really expensive and new and she engraved in it and it was really special because it represented our marriage covenant with one another and so I thought maybe I should wear that, right? I have a plastic wearable one and I'll tell you why because of the story right here but and I'm hauling this new ring around trying to figure out how to wear this thing and and. Uh, if you know me as well, I have, I lose things. And so I have a homing device just so I don't lose my left foot. But anyway, that's a good joke. Thanks for laughing in the back right corner. I appreciate that. But I'm at the park one day and I began playing an impromptu basketball game. And if you're playing basketball or you're a basketball player, you know that you can't use your, your ring while playing basketball. It's not a good idea for many reasons. But I take my ring off and I set it on my phone, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm gonna watch that. I'm playing ball, I'm gonna watch the phone. And of course, I end the basketball game and I go to the phone and the ring is not there. And it's a little bit dark outside, so I pull out the phone and I begin to look with my flashlight in the grass, seeing if my phone had fallen. And of course, it's not. So I have to go home and tell my wife I lost the symbol of our marriage that you gave to me. And it's, you know, devastating. But I'm not giving up. So I go back the next day trying to find the ring. It's not there. And I think about this all day and night. And I think to myself, there was two kids that were on a bike, two bikes, and I know that they were there. I wonder if they picked up the ring. So she thinks I'm crazy, but I get in my car and I start driving around the neighborhood looking for bikes. I mean, we're talking 10 to 12 year old kids here. 
and I find a bike that I recognize. And so I go to the door, I knock on the door, the kid answers the door. I know the kid, I see the kid's face, I remember him from, from playing to the side while we were playing basketball. And I said, do you have my ring? And he says, no, but I know who does. So he takes me to the other kid's house and I knock on the door with his friend standing next to me. And I say, I believe that you have something of mine. And he looks at me and he goes, what are you talking about? And the kid next to me is like, dude, you got caught, give it up. I mean, he's here, like you can give up the ring. And the kid, he has this like shyest, sad look on his face and he's thinking to himself, oh no, what happens now? And I said, why don't you go get me the ring and let's talk about it. And he brings down the ring. At this point, mom's at the door and we begin chatting about our sin, about God's provision for our sin through Christ and the grace of God that changes the direction of our life. And I remember walking away from that conversation being a little bit angry that thinking to myself, how can this kid take something so precious from me while acting like it was just no big deal? He was sad that he had gotten caught He was not sad that he had taken the ring. Let me ask you this question this morning. How do you know if you have a repentant heart? How do you know if you yourself have a repentant heart? Well, there is a change of action. In the story of the boy, if he would have just said, sir, I've been looking for you. I got this ring, I took it, but I'm thankful you're here. His heart would have been seen. When the case of Simon, who at the beginning of the story wants to promote himself as the greatest, only to show himself with no repentance or no change, in his life because he wants to buy the Holy Spirit with money so that he can use God's power for his purposes. You see, the fruit of repentance is a change in action. One of the greatest ways in which we see the power of God at work in the lives of his people and through his church is humbly confessing sin. We, meaning you and I, often want to wait until we get caught to confess our sin. But that's not what we see according to Scripture. We see the word of God confronting our hearts. We see the conviction in which the Holy Spirit places and the weight in which he places upon our hearts and it pierces us hearts. We need to say three words, church. I need help. I need help. First, from the Lord. I need help from the God who wants to give me help. He wants to rescue me from my sin. He wants to give me a new heart. He wants to empower me through the Holy Spirit to overcome the world and the desires of the world. I need help, Lord. We also need to say it to our pastors. We need to say it to our community group leaders. We need to say it to our parents. We need to say it to our spouse. We need to say it to people who want to show you grace. That's what the church is all about, showing people grace, pointing us back to the gospel of grace. It is a humble heart in which God desires for his people in need of Christ and saying, Lord, come and change me.
And guess what? He's able to shape us. He's able to mold us. He's able to strengthen us for his glory. This is what he does over and over and over again in the New Testament. And we'll see this in a minute with the Apostle Paul. He changes the heart through the gospel of grace. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Can we understand this? He is self-proclaimed great. He says, let me tell you how great I am. Anybody that says that, they're very full of themselves. And I guess they hear him because they all pay attention to him in this well way. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest thing. This man is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. See, apostles come later healing. They see the amazing miracles performed, the signs that the gospel is true. But see, this man was doing some stuff, so probably some dark art stuff. He's not just pulling a rabbit out of a hat. He is involved in the demonic and a tool of Satan to try to get people to go against God and follow him to the point where he has people calling him the power of God. You think back into the Old Testament, you think of the Pharaoh's magicians in Egypt. They were able to produce a snake from a staff just as Aaron's snake, Aaron's staff turned into a snake. Yet Aaron's snake or the snake swallowed the magicians of Egypt. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this, these people entrenched in the satanic, in the midst of these people living in darkness, the gospel comes to Samaria. Do you think that we have people living in darkness in our city? Do you think that the gospel needs to come into their home? I believe so. And Philip, a normal man, not one of the apostles, a normal church member, comes and brings it to them. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. This is our first point this morning. The spirit glorifies Christ the Spirit glorifies Christ. The Spirit of the living God does not glorify man. It glorifies Christ. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of God's church is here to glorify Christ, to make his name famous, not our name famous. Notice the pride of Simon, wanting to advance himself. This is the opposite of the, what the Spirit of the living God wants to do. He wants to glorify Christ. John chapter 16, 14, Jesus says, of talking about the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. You see, the spirit of the living God takes humble people and uses them to glorify Christ. Pride is actually from Satan himself. We're talked about the fall of Satan in two passages of scripture. One is Isaiah chapter 14, 12, and it gives us this, this insight into the fall of Satan as he wanted to be like God. This is what it says in 14, 12, Isaiah. 
You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. This is talking about Satan. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Boy, that's some pride and arrogance there. Satan then comes down to earth as he falls from heaven and then he tempts the woman in the exact same way in which he was tempted from the fall from heaven. He says this to the woman, take and eat for you will be like God. This is pride. This is exactly what Simon the magician does. This man is the power of God that is called great. He's making himself out to be God, elevating himself to be like God. And the Lord absolutely abhors this. He absolutely hates this. Proverbs 6.16 says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Number one is haughty eyes. What does that mean, haughty eyes? Blatantly and disdainfully proud. When we are haughty, we become the center of our universe. Everything revolves around us. There is little, if any, concern for what others think, no consideration for the will of God. It is all about me, myself, I. And unfortunately, this is all too common for people in America. It's all too common for people in the church because this pride is anti-gospel, it is anti-God, it is against God because you are making yourself the center of your universe. James chapter four, verse six says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who does he give grace to? Is it the man that says, I am so great, look at me? No, it is the man who humbly in repentance and, and, and faith upon Christ says, I can, I need help. We'll just stick with that line. I need help. But Simon is not alone. Pride manifests itself in many ways, leading to all types of sin. Pride, a prideful heart has these thoughts. Young people, listen to me. Listen to me. A prideful heart has these thoughts. I deserve that. I'm entitled to this. I can do whatever I want. How prideful is that when you face an almighty, holy God who is the center of the universe? You can't tell me what I can and cannot do. It's not really that bad. I'm really not that bad. An arrogant heart. I'm really good. As long as people like me, it'll be fine. No one will know. That's what comes out of the heart of pride. But here's where the story gets a little bit tricky. Simon believes. He's baptized and follows Philip. He continues in the church. He doesn't just, just get saved and be baptized. Then he goes his own way and continues in his dark arts and, and it continues in demonic. No, he goes and he follows Philip. But his heart is actually revealed. And there's a statement in here which kind of gives us a foreshadowing. At the end of verse 13, he says, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. He was attracted to the miracles 
He was attracted to the signs and wonders performed. He was attracted to the beauty of the building. He was attracted to the wonder of the great community. He was attracted to the preaching and the preacher himself instead of attracted to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We're transitioning now into the second point, which is this. The Spirit of God dwells in God's church. The Spirit of the living God dwells in God's church, dwells among his people who are called his church. Now, it's interesting here when we read this story that Peter and John are sent to Samaria. These people have, been, have, have received Christ. They have believed upon Christ. But the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them. And they lay their hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now it's clear in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is given to those who believe upon Christ at their salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, In him, talking about Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Romans 8, 9 says this, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Remember, Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. There's a lot of false teaching that comes out of this passage to say that the Holy Spirit comes after salvation or through the laying on of hands. Yet, remember what we heard from Acts chapter 1, verse 8 which should be memorized by all of us now, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Reminder, go back to the beginning of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes down the first time upon upon the apostles in Jerusalem, tongues of fire, Come down, the Spirit of God now dwelling inside of God's church because now they're proclaiming these tongues in different languages. And now the Samaritans, not Jews, not Gentiles, but the Samaritans have now heard the gospel and believed and been baptized. Why are they receiving the Holy Spirit through the apostles' hands? Acts 10 tells us something more. Acts 10 tells that the Spirit, how the Spirit falls upon the Gentiles. In the same way with Peter and some of the leaders from the church in Jerusalem in the room. Different people groups. You have the Jews in Jerusalem, you have the Samaritans, and then you have the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit is making sure that God's church is one church, that there is one Spirit given to the people of God from the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, this is what we read about the Spirit falling upon the Gentiles. Was, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, meaning from those that came from Jerusalem who were Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even onto the Gentiles. 
For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So the gospel moves from Jerusalem to Judea, which is surrounding Jerusalem, to Samaria. And when it does, God makes sure that there is one church, not two churches. He makes sure that the apostles see the Holy Spirit coming upon the Samaritans and to the Gentiles in chapter 10. It's a mini Pentecost showing the Holy Spirit is given to these people as well, not just the Jews. They were confused. We'll read about that in in chapter 10. Peter is shocked that the Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit And just in the same way, the Samaritans are receiving the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us this. Ephesians chapter four, verse four says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church is one. The Jerusalem church And the Samaritan church are linked together here by the unity under the spirit of the living God. And also it establishes the authority of the word of the apostles to the Samaritan church. Remember, Philip, who is a deacon-like servant, is going and sharing the gospel. All right. That's enough of, of, of information. You got a lot of information there. If you want to talk to me later, you can do that. That's fine. But I had to tell you these things because there's a lot of false teaching about them. But we, we need to understand this. The Holy Spirit regenerates the heart, okay? In Titus chapter three, verse five, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So true and genuine salvation comes about through the Holy Spirit's work in the heart, which causes faith, then ultimately leads to proclamation of that faith through baptism. But we see Simon the magician Believed and baptized, but not receiving the Holy Spirit. This is the case of Simon, and this is the case of others in the church. The heart for coming to Christ was not a regenerate heart, meaning it was not a new heart given by the Lord God Almighty for faith in him, in repentance, even though he believed and was baptized, he never received the Holy Spirit. I can remember a day in Thailand in which chills rose up my spine I was face to face with the spirit doctor of the village there doing all sorts of demonic nonsense day to day and sharing the gospel with him in a power encounter with him. His response to me was, oh yes, I believe upon Christ. Oh yes, I have been baptized. And he brought me into his room filled with idols, all sorts of idolatry, Hindu idols, Buddhist idols, all sorts of demonic pictures. The room was filled with idols. And in the middle of the room was a picture of Jesus. And he pointed to the picture and he says I believe in Jesus 
See, he believed in Jesus along with his hundreds of other gods. You see, Jesus does not have a spare bedroom in the home of your heart. He doesn't just have a place on the mantle of your heart. He owns it. The spirit of the living God dwells in those who are his church. And the spirit of the living God cannot dwell amongst other idols. We see in the Old Testament with Dagon, the idol who falls on his face because the Ark of the Covenant is in the temple In the sanctuary, the living God does not, is not placed in the spare bedroom of our heart. There has to be a heart of repentance. And that's what Peter says here. Look at verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power. Also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Look at that last part. There is no repentance, yet he just wants escape. He wants escape from the pit of hell, which Peter talks about earlier. There's no true repentance. Justin Martyr believes that Simon, one of the early church figures, believes that Simon would be ultimately the one that would start Gnosticism in which all, a lot of the New Testament letters are written against a false teaching This is point number three. A heart of repentance is the heart which God dwells. A heart of repentance is the heart in which God dwells. Simon thought that he could purchase the power of God for himself. He thought he could use God for his own purposes. Peter tells him he has no part or lot in this manner Peter comes strongly, the literal, literal translation of may your perish silver with you. What may your silver perish with you is actually may you be destroyed and thrown into hell with your money. Your heart is not right before the Lord. Faith without repentance is nothing. James chapter two, verse 17 says this, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. You see, The demons believe that God is who he says he is. But they do not repent. There is no turning from their sin. There is no making Jesus the center of their universe placing him in authority and control in their life. They know who God is. They even believe that he is God. And yet, 
They are dead. Peter then tells Simon and tells us what is lacking in verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if he possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. What is missing is a heartfelt recognition of sinfulness and turning to Jesus with a humble heart of thanksgiving and faith and trusting in Christ for forgiveness. Amazement and excitement of signs and wonders is not saving faith. Saving faith says, I need help and allows the spirit of the living God to take residence in our life. It is godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Verse 23 is probably one of the saddest verses in this section. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Peter shows his condition of his heart. It's bitterness and in the bondage of sin. There may be some people today who are in the bondage of sin. Sin is a harsh taskmaster and your pride is keeping you from confession of your sin and asking for help. You may even feel the weight of conviction of the Spirit of God upon your heart Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography, alcohol, drugs. The heart feels the weight of sin. And it's time. It's time to not wait till you get caught the next time. It's time to stand up and say, I need help. I need help in my marriage. I need help with my addiction. Need help with my eyes. Because I can assure you that the grace of God is greater than any addiction, any problem, any pride, any self centeredness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says this I want to leave you here. If you haven't heard anything this morning, listen to the word. Let it speak over your soul. It says this, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
God doesn't require you to be the best. God doesn't require you to be the best husband, best father, best church member. Doesn't require you to do the most works. He does require you to have a heart that says, I need the Lord. I'm unable to do it myself. I need the power of God. I need to repent and turn to the Lord God Almighty. God may be calling you to do that this morning. Confess your sins for the first time. Don't wait until you get caught. Get the help that you need. Sin is a grave taskmaster and the slide is a slippery slope. If you truly want healing or freedom, confess those things. Ask the Lord for help, but then ask your pastor who wants to come alongside you in the truth of the gospel that God forgives your sin. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. This is the good news message that we preach, that Christ came for sinners. He came for people who have a humble heart and saying, I am messed up. I need Jesus. I need help. And that includes myself. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. Would you stand with us as we enter into this time of prayer? Listen, nobody cares if you go to the back and you pray with the pastor. Just being real honest. You could be praying for Aunt Sally who has cancer. We want to pray for healing of people. But listen, you could also be sharing some deep, dark things. We want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning as we worship. If you need to share with somebody next to you, great. If you need to go across the room and share with your community group leader, do that. But don't wait. Let's seek the Lord together. Let's make this a place in which the spirit of the living God dwells among his people. Father, we ask that this time would be glorifying to you, that it would not be of ourself, that we would not have so much pride that we're unable to confess our sins. Father, for you have given us a new life, that the good news message is Christ came to save sinners. Father, we pray that you change hearts right now that you bring about repentance and that you'd start, Father, right here today in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray.